Hi, I'm Amy Kluber, and welcome to today's episode. We are diving into some defense technology perspectives specifically for the Indo-Pacific region. We recently had the opportunity to connect with several leaders at the FCA Techna Indo-Pacific Conference in Honolulu, where they shared with us how they're thinking about this quickly changing landscape and what it means for defense programs. So in this episode, we're going to feature some of the highlights we captured there around software factories, commercialization, especially for emerging technologies like AI, updates to DISA's Oconus cloud solution, as it continues to see related developments with the JWCC contract. And of course, we hear from Indopaycom CIO himself, who tells us how he's thinking about data centricity. So dive in for our highlights. All these sound bites you'll hear are from Rod Vietmeyer, Chief Software Officer at DoD, Sharon Woods, Director of DISA's Hosting and Compute Center, Andrew Hong, Deputy Director of the Cyber Portfolio at the Defense Innovation Unit, and of course, Indopaycom CIO General Mark Miles. The Indo-Pacific region is going through a lot of transformation right now, as we know. What does that look like from a software perspective? So, as you know, Alligator, our pacing threat is uh, China, the PRC. So our ability to just stay ahead of, of China moving forward to increase our deterrence uh, is critical for us. And if we look at the modern battle space, it's no longer about who can bring the most warfighting power, who can bring the most kinetic effects. That when you look at it, digital software is an integral part of the defense strategy of the defense operations as we move forward. And so from the software perspective, what we're looking at is how do we continue to drive uh, continuous innovation to drive uh, continuous adaptability. The, the, um, the military will tell you that no plan uh, survives first contact. So adaptability is absolutely uh, key to us. And so when we look at the modern infrastructure, it is almost entirely software defined. And so our ability to manage, secure, and to rapidly deploy software becomes a critical part of our military capabilities moving forward. The organization completed its action plan recently, and I know you're launching somewhat of a new uh, plan coming up. Um, how has that been going, and what are the plans underway? Yeah, so we had a really exciting year. We awarded JWCC, uh, which was fantastic, and it's gotten off to a really good start. We have over $250 million worth of awards already, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, we also launched a number of our OCONUS Cloud uh, initiatives, and that's going to be a big focus of the upcoming year. And then we did also launch our Vulkan DevSecOps tool suite, uh, which has also been really exciting. We have a number of customers lined up for that. Uh, so I think we definitely are going to have our hands full this year doing a number of things. The uh, Going back to the uh, Oconus Cloud, I know there's a, a beta program uh, going on right now in Hawaii for that. So uh, what, what's it like to be here in Hawaii to kind of see that through? Yeah, it's really exciting being here. And I've had a chance to speak with some of the different combatant command, uh, command, uh, command components. Uh, so we've taken a dual path with Oconus Cloud. We launched a OCONUS Stratus private cloud region. Uh, so that is our, our private cloud that sits in the DISA data centers and provides a on-prem but cloud-like experience. 
which is especially great for customers that aren't completely ready to go to commercial cloud. There's a little bit more price predictability, uh, but it's a good stepping stone. And then we're also doing the Joint Operational Edge Cloud Initiative, or Joe. And the premise behind that is taking commercial cloud capabilities and moving those out into the edge so that uh, applications and data are closer to the point of need. So two parallel paths. We're all about optionality. We need to meet our, our mission owners' demands, which means we need to provide some different options for them. How has the the cloud efforts been faring for the Indo-Pacific region in particular? I know it's going through a lot of change right now. And so what does that mean from a cloud perspective and how you're thinking about uh, those solutions for this region? So I think the biggest thing in the Indo-PACOM region is to think about it like a mesh uh, from a cloud standpoint, both, uh, I think, in terms of laying down private cloud as well as commercial cloud, uh, as well as having uh, presence in different locations. Uh, With everything being so geographically dispersed, you can't put all your eggs in one basket, and the uh, operational plans for the different combatant command uh, components in the military services, they all have different locations that are a focus for them. So we're all about meeting them uh, at the point of need where they're located in the region. Now, um, going back to Vulcan, uh, last time we checked in, you were eyeing building on successes of that and integrating more into the JWCC um, environment. Um, Where are you with that, and what does that mean for operations in the region specifically? So the the biggest thing with DevSecOps, in my opinion, is to think about it like an ecosystem of capabilities. So Vulkan is a tool suite uh, that we launched with uh, GitLab Ultimate, with Jira, and Confluence. And so there's, those are really the foundational components to starting up what would be a DevSecOps pipeline. This coming year, we're going to be focused on those pipeline templates to extend it out even further. Um, but right now, we have set up Vulkan so that um, it, it works in, in different environments and it connects with our infrastructure's code baselines. Uh, So it further extends out that experience so that when you're setting up cloud environments, you can use infrastructure's code, do that quickly, do that in a matter of hours. Uh, But then you're also able to get that continuous integration, continuous development pipeline, uh, as well as the project management capabilities that go along with it. So that's why, you know, DevSecOps, it's not this single pipeline, one pipeline to rule them all. And I think that's kind of a misconception sometimes. It really is a suite of capabilities. And again, our approach is to provide optionality. So someone uh, doesn't have to get the whole Cadillac, so to speak. They can, they can pick and choose the pieces that they need based on their unique requirements. How do you see DIU's role amid the shifting landscape in the Indo-Pacific region? So I think uh, we're going to be a really big player in the Indo-Pacific region specifically. Um, We have a lot of initiatives that we're really key stakeholders in, um, and we have a lot of people that are coming out here to support Indo-PACOM as well as their components. Um, And I think really what we bring to the table is just a different mindset and trying to get things done quickly um, using commercial solutions. So um, instead of relying solely on, you know, commercial or I'm sorry, uh, traditional uh, government um, solutions, you know, going out there and seeing what we haven't uncovered yet um, and then bringing that back to the DOD to see how we can get things moving quicker. I think that's very complimentary, I guess, to uh, working with the commercial side who is used to doing things very quickly. Has that been a a huge culture shock to bring that into the department? 
It has been a very big culture shock. I would say, you know, it's 50-50. Some people are really excited about it, and other people are kind of scared um, just because it's unknown. Um, and I think people have a like, misconception, especially when they've worked so long in government, um, where they, they just don't understand how the commercial sector works, and they just assume that, you know, the products that they're buying um, at home are going to be kind of similar to what um, they would get as a, as a government customer. And so we're, we try to help you know, help them understand um, why it's different um, and how it could be beneficial. What have been some of the uh, tech and particularly cybersecurity challenges that you've been facing and how do you see DIU kind of helping the overall department overcoming them? So I think a, a big challenge that we're, we're seeing across the board, not specific to cybersecurity, but just data in general. So how do we transport data to where it needs to be, as well as how do we safely secure it? Um, and so that's both a cybersecurity challenge, but it's also just a technological challenge. So we have a lot of projects that are focused on um, using AI and ML to do as much edge computing as possible, um, as well as just making sure that um, we have multiple avenues to transport that data. Uh, so you know, when we're working with the DOD, um, resiliency and communication is huge. And so we're trying to see what we can take from the commercial sector um, and what they already are doing and then adopt it for military use. Uh, and it seems to be working really well. And uh, the DOD customers that we work with or partners, um, they're really used to like going out there and Googling, you know, what Starlink might be or some other uh, latest kind of a uh, technology that's out there. So it's not completely foreign to them, but I think it's exciting that the things that they're seeing in the news are actually able to then bring into what they're doing every day. So the Indo-Pacific region is going through so much transformation right now. We've heard it um, since yesterday here at the conference. Um, how do you see the partnerships evolving with some of these major initiatives going on right now? Okay, I'll give you two ways I see the, the evolution. Um, the first is in the collaboration piece. So I think it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time not only in the Department of Defense, but in the IT industry in, in general. Because there are some tools... Uh, that arrive, whether it be real-time language translation or some of the ability to push and synchronize data across vast dis distances that is allowing a closer collaboration with partners and allies. And we're seeing that. We're, we're seeing that across this theater. We're seeing that in some of the relationships that were already strong, but now we are, we, we are able to collaborate, and we're able to collaborate even outside of what was traditionally was done just in exercises and in pre-scheduled events. Now it's more a campaigning effort. It's, more, it's an enduring relationship. So that's one. The second I would say is uh, more of a tendency toward multilateral collaboration. So in the past, it was a lot. Maybe it was because we were kind of a little bit confined in exercises. We did a lot of bilateral. We did, had a lot of strong relationships that we would build in, uh, individually with different countries. Uh, now, a, a lot of it with the emphasis and the priority from Admiral Aquilino uh, is bringing multiple countries together, bringing larger coalitions and exercising and collaborating um, in synchronizing with, with across three, four, five, six, up to, you know, dozens of allies at the same time, which makes us all stronger and, and is really an exciting evolution of where we're going. It's definitely not an easy, uh, I guess, tech challenge to, to accomplish, but um, it sounds like there's a lot of efforts underway to uh, get over some of those challenges. Um, a couple of the major initiatives out of the Defense Department we've heard has been uh, around zero trust and, of course, the overarching C, Jassy, now as it's called. Um, what are you, 
What are you seeing, um, or how are you seeing those impact in your Pacific region most? Okay, I'll take them in reverse order how you said them. I'll start with the CJAD C2. Uh, so all the, 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 the end of the CJAD to add to acronym, the all domain command and control. Uh, so uh, how that is manifest really, or, or in the major experiment or effort we've got here in our headquarters that is all domain command control is really centered around our joint fires network experimentation. Um, that is, uh, it is synchronizing common operation pictures. That is synchronizing the ability to, to uh, conduct all domain command and control at the various elements and, and nodes across the Pacific with our allies and partners across our joint force at real time uh, with real time access to data and to the many sensors that we've got across this region. So that's, that, that's really the exciting piece. I think that's relative exactly, or, or aligns very well with the De uh, Department of Defense's effort on the CGIC2. Now with Zero Trust, also we, uh, so inside of the J6, so speaking from from our you know, our effort and the team that we've got in the J6, we, we have built and are uh, built developing and are now evolving a, a zero trust network, uh, which is great. Uh, we call it the Indo-PACOM Mission Network. It is um, one of the networks that we run and operate here in the Pacific. Our vision is that down the road um, it'll be the primary and maybe even only network that, that we have uh, to conduct missions, exercises, and campaigns uh, across the Pacific. But what it you know where we are now. And where the zero trust technology is exciting and where it's transforming things is the emphasis on the data centric portion of it. So, data centric security, but also the where the data is, how we're using it, how we're leveraging it. It is enabling things like artificial intelligence and machine learning. It's enabling us to to work with industry on the latest of the most innovative tools, take the best practices that are across IT. So, not only from a not only from an ability to collaborate, but the ability to do it securely, because that's where we have zero trust and the data-centric security really is the enhancement, is it significantly increases the security of the networks and the data that we care the most about and is the most critical in any of our, our ongoing or future efforts. Absolutely. Um, so what are some of the other priorities top of mind for you as we're kind of entering the new fiscal year and... Um, seeing a lot of or realizing a lot of the, the progress that has been made on some of these efforts. Right, sure. That, I'll tell you, we, we have a lot of um, priorities around uh, the Assured C2. Uh, so their uh, emphasis across our joint force is the, is the ability to, to blind, see, kill an adversary and to prevent that on the same, so the counter C4 to prevent that um, uh, that capability to affect our forces. Um, so that, and we, kind of, we wrap that all inside the J6, we wrap that all in a line of effort or a priority around Assured C2. There's a lot of technologies, think, think, uh, uh, think resilient and survivable communication platforms. Uh, so I'd say that's one. Uh, a second one, uh, a priority for us is is the continued modernization uh, of our joint networks, and which not only you know has obvious benefits for uh, uh, allowing commanders' decision cycles and allowing command and control in this theater across our joint force, but really it's about whole of government communication and collaboration. And some of that's just part of working in state-of-the-art technology, like we do, and in the IT industry, we always we we can and should always be modernizing and, and looking toward the future and, and, and leveraging that great technology. So network modernization is a priority. I'll tell you the last one, which 
kind of affects all of the other tech, uh, priorities that we've talked about and some that we haven't, and that's workforce support. So the, the developing, educating, training, and also recruiting a technical workforce that can, uh, that can keep pace with technology, that can keep the United States and our partners and allies on the leading edge. Because uh, it's not only leveraging great technology, it's not only getting the capabilities we need, but it's getting there faster than any potential adversary. It, it's, it's, it's maintaining and enhancing the advantages that we already have, and that starts primarily and is, is throughout its life cycle reliant on a workforce uh, that, that we've got to continue to support and, like I said, recruit and retain, and so we're very focused on that as, a, as another priority. The, the people aspect is definitely a reigning theme that I've been hearing here throughout the conference. It's n never a technology problem. It's always a people problem, and right. um, I, it's interesting to hear how that is playing out for Indo-P. Right. Um, where do you see emerging technologies impacting most in this realm, especially with the mission of uh, a lot of these efforts enabling things like AI and um, you know, see Jassy too, data centricity. Where do you see emerging technologies impact most? Yeah, near term, I, I, you, you mentioned AI. That's absolutely one. But in order to enable AI, it is about uh, it's about protecting and, and assuring the, the communications that we use to it. So I, I mentioned earlier with the data data centricity. I think is is core to uh, to enabling that. So when we're building network, when we're designing networks for the for now and into the future where data is stored, where the processing power occurs become very important questions in our, in our, our top of the mind as we're, as we're developing those networks. And that's where a lot of emerging technology is exciting and, and we continue to leverage. Uh, but also the, the idea of resilient and, and assured communications, only because there's just a lot of great work on, by industry being done in that area. Uh, being able to communicate in a, in, a, in a, not only a crowded electromagnetic spectrum, but an electromagnetic spectrum, uh, electromagnetic spectrum that more and more so we have adversaries that are able to, to, to be conflict us in that. So, uh, you know, with that, with knowing the threat, knowing the capabilities that we, we would have to face as a force, a lot of amazing technology innovations happen in that space, and extending that to another threat, and that, that would be in cyberspace. So, uh, from the cyber resiliency, the cyber defense, uh, just another area of, of technology that is emerging, technology that we're leveraging, technology that we're training our workforce, you know, and, and bringing in the expertise uh, in, in, in enabling the processes and the people uh, that can leverage that is, is probably the last area, I'd say, of new technology that's exciting and that we're leveraging. That brings us to the end of our highlights, to some of the ongoing initiatives across the Defense Department and how they are impacting operations in the Indo-Pacific region. If you want to check out the full interviews, head to govciomedia.com or check out the links in the show notes. And of course, if you liked what you heard, let us know in the reviews and don't forget to follow. See you next time. GovCast, along with HealthCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. 
And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.